Hi there. I am so excited to invite you to attend our fourth annual free virtual special education and advocacy conference. We are hosting it here at Ashley Barlow Company in partnership with Rebecca Poe Teaching. And we are so excited for a few new things at this year's conference. The first new thing is that we have not just one, but two different tracks for attendance. For the first time ever, we have created a track that is specific for school staff and teachers. We also still have that traditional track that we intend to be really great for parents and caregivers in the IEP arena. So yes, we have a teacher track and a parent track. On that teacher track, you are going to learn about things like easier data collection, gestalt language processing, behavior reading, and other super hot topics in special education practice, as well as advocacy. On the teacher and caregiver track, you're going to learn about stress management for caregivers using adaptive books, something that I have really kind of um, dove into here at my own house, inclusion advocacy, advocacy strategies, and so, so much more. That free ticket will give you one pass, one access to one presentation per hour on the track that you choose, either that teacher track or the parent track. Of course, if you are not available on January 19th or January 20th when the conference is taking place, you can buy tickets to access the conference on demand. And those tickets, of course, are available at our website, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference slash 2024. Check out the website for more information about ticketing. This year, we also have something super exciting planned. We have decided to make this a two-day event. When I partnered with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I told her that I really feel like school districts, disability organizations, and other community organizations need to start providing trainings that are accessible to teachers, related service providers, administrators, parents and caregivers, and other community members that are interested in IEP support. What if we all attended the same training? What if we all learned information about special education practice, curriculum, how to read evaluations, that kind of stuff, about special education advocacy, how we can collaborate more, how we can work together, and even about special education laws. What if we all attended those presentations and we workshopped them together? So together with Rebecca Poteaching, I have created the Empowered Workshop Series, and we are excited to bring it to your organization or school in 2024 and beyond. If you are interested in having Rebecca and I bring a workshop to you, you can see a preview of the Empowered Workshops on January 19th, the Friday before our main conference programming. For more information about that, either send me a DM or check out the website, again, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference dash 2024. We hope to see you January 19th and or January 20th and can't wait to connect with you. Hi everyone, welcome to the Ashley Barlow Company Podcast. I'm Ashley Barlow, your host. If you are a parent, 
a teacher or someone who works at a school, or you're a community member, a volunteer or a staff member at an organization that supports people with special education plans, a coach, a tutor, or even a grandparent, you're in the right place. Sit back with an ice cold glass of lemonade, put on your walking shoes and grab some headphones, roll down the windows and cruise. Ready, set, go. Educate, advocate, collaborate. Welcome back to the Special Education Advocacy Podcast with Ashley Barlow. I'm Ashley Barlow and I'm so happy you're here. A quick programming note before we dive into today's episode. If you are watching on YouTube and you're used to getting the video, don't worry, you aren't supposed to be getting the video. There's just a slide up. Somehow I have gotten not one, but two eye infections. And I thought it would be better if I just did this podcast with audio only. I apologize if it's inconvenient and if it makes it difficult for you to access. I'm certain I will be back next week with the video. Let's dive into today's topic. Three common mistakes that are made in IEP meetings. Now, because I can't just stop at three, I'm going to give you three that are really content oriented. And then I'm going to give you a fourth that is really more about the tenor of the meeting, the vibe in the meeting, the feeling of the meeting, because, you know, that's where my bread and butter is. That's what I like to talk about is the teamwork kind of the aspect of the meeting. But these are three mistakes that are content oriented that I'm going to bring you first. And they're things that I bet you've done. They're definitely things that I've done. And I've learned not only from my own mistakes, but from the mistakes of my clients as well. The first mistake that happens so often in IEP meetings is when people agree without really knowing what they're agreeing to. And it doesn't matter if this is a teacher or it's a principal or it's a parent, it happens all the time. Now, this can happen as a result of something that is super benign. Sometimes it happens because uh, people feel dumb. So teachers feel like, I don't know that much about this particular disability and I don't want to ask because I feel like I should know. Or the related service professionals don't understand a particular um, teaching mechanism or strategy, but they feel like they should know and so they don't ask. And parents feel like they don't understand special education at all and the people are the experts and they say, okay, you're the experts, I'll just say yes. But sometimes it also happens because people just don't understand. There's some kind of communication gap. There's some kind of almost like a language barrier that happens. And so you think you're saying one thing and you think everybody at the table agrees, but deep down, they have no idea. They don't understand what you're saying. And so it's super important that if you are hearing something that you think you understand, if it's important enough, say it back and say, okay, I think this is what you're saying. Let me see if I got this right. And if you know you don't understand something that somebody at the table says, then it's super important to ask for clarification, to ask for somebody to explain it to you. 
Now, I know sometimes you don't want to slow things down. You don't want to be the one to be like, hang on a second, I've got a question. Can you explain that to me? Because not only do you think it might make you look dumb and you might be afraid that other people on the team might judge you as a result of that, but you also probably don't want to stick out in the meeting and that's completely understandable. But what happens if you say yes to something and you don't know what you're agreeing to? Well, what happens in my experience is that there's this huge snowball effect. See, because you'll agree to one thing and okay, maybe that's okay. But then as a result of that, something else happens and something else happens and something else happens. And by the time you get to the problem that bothers you, you're seven steps down the way and the snowball is two feet in diameter. And now we've got to undo that entire snowball. We've got to roll it backwards. And you know what happens if you roll a snowball backwards? It gets bigger. So sometimes then what happens is you've got to make stuff messier and bigger in order to get down to the heart of the matter where the mistake happened, where the yes happened without the information to back it up, where you said yes, or somebody on the team said yes, and they didn't really know what they were agreeing to. So this happens a lot with evaluation reports. Oh my heavens, people don't know what they're agreeing to when they look at evaluation reports. And so the school psychologist will read his or her part and the PT reads a part and the OT reads a part and anybody else that has done an evaluation reads a part. And the other people sit in that meeting and they just kind of nod and say, mm-hmm, okay, yes. But those reports are confusing. They are left to interpretation. They are long. They have a bunch of explanatory paragraphs that really nobody ever talks about in the meeting. And somebody's reading to you. And I don't know about you, but I don't do well when somebody's reading to me. And so oftentimes everybody on the team kind of tunes out for the evaluation part of a meeting if there is an evaluation report at the meeting. And so let's see. Most evaluation reports here where I practice in Kentucky and Ohio are probably 10 to 20 pages long. It probably takes me five or six hours to completely read an evaluation report and then also to digest it, to do any research that I need to do as a result of it and to make sure that a proposed IEP lines up with the evaluation. That takes a lot of time. If we can catch it at the beginning though, if we look at the evaluation report at the very beginning and we say, okay, I've got a question about this. What does this mean? And okay, I've got a question about that. What does that mean? Then we can get stuff done at the very beginning. We don't have to spend those three to six hours undoing everything. We can empower ourselves with information. We can really dive in. We can understand it so that then we can make decisions together in the moment. Making decisions together in the moment with the information already digested is certainly better than scrambling 
and saying, okay, fine, that must be right. Because we're all at this table. You just read it to me. And I guess I understand. That strategy is not effective. And so one thing that I definitely recommend is that you get information on how to read the reports before you ever get one. Whether you read about it in a book, you listen to a podcast like mine or someone else's, you see an attorney or an advocate, you ask your own professionals that you see privately if they could help you understand, you get the information on how to read the reports, you have time to digest information in the evaluation report that you are receiving, and then you match that evaluation report to the proposed IEP to see if what's recommended in the report is actually done in the IEP, to see if the weaknesses that are mentioned in the report are actually referenced in the IEP as goals. And so if you do that, if you need that information, what you'll find is that it's probably wise for you to ask for evaluation reports in advance. It also might be wise to avoid the kind of meetings where you review an evaluation report, you look at eligibility, and you look at a proposed IEP, because that is a lot to do in one meeting. And what I find is once we get about an hour and a half into a meeting, everybody's exhausted, it's too long, it's too much to do in a meeting. And so you might say, you know, could we break it apart because I might need some time to digest that evaluation and eligibility information. The last thing I'll say about this example is, oftentimes people say, well, what do you do if you can't get the report in advance? And here's the thing, you are part of a team, no matter how you qualify to be at the meeting, no matter what role you serve on the meeting or in the meeting on the IEP team, you are there for a reason and your participation is really important. And so if you get an evaluation report and you've got questions or you need time to digest it before you can make any decisions based on it or any kind of reason that you need to delay, ask for it. Simply say, you know what? I just got this and I feel uncomfortable making decisions right now because this is new information. And so could I have a day or two to digest this and then could we move on? And that's okay. That If it helps you participate better, that's okay. I want to give you another example and it's with least restrictive environment. So you know that children are supposed to be educated in the least restrictive environment with their non-disabled peers to the maximum extent appropriate for the child. And what happens a lot in cases, it actually happened to me, and it's happened to so many people that have come into my office, is they almost get kind of a sales pitch from a school or from a classroom or a teacher or a program where there's some kind of self-contained classroom. And so the parents are thinking mainstream, mainstream, inclusion, inclusion. And then the school is thinking self-contained classroom, self-contained classroom, self-contained classroom. And so the school brings into the IEP team this kind of sales pitch idea. You get this sales pitch on the self-contained room. Oh, it's got this teacher that's more qualified and there's smaller class sizes here. And there are fewer students that um, come in and out than in a different kind of resource room or special education room. And oh my goodness, you have to hear about the unique resources that are in this room. 
Have you ever heard that kind of sales pitch? So many of my clients hear that and they say, okay, that sounds great. Sure. Yeah, that teacher sounds awesome. And oh, that sensory room sounds great. But did you ever think, well, could that teacher also work as a teacher, maybe in a pull out kind of situation? Or could my child access the sensory room, even if my child's educational placement is not in that special class in a self-contained classroom? What happens when people agree without asking the questions, without knowing what they're agreeing to? What happens when people just nod and say, okay, you're the experts, that's what we have to do, is we get the snowball. Because then we get placed there and then the, and we get comfortable and maybe there's a problem and there's another problem and there's another problem and then boom, here's the big problem. But now if we've got a big problem and we've got to backtrack and say, oh, this is not the right placement, we've got to get through this whole big snowball because it's rolled across the grass and now we've got a bigger snowball. It is way easier to ask questions, contemplate the answers, and make informed decisions, even if that takes a little bit of time at the very start, then to go back through that snowball once all of the issues have compounded. And so even though it feels a little bit slow and it feels a little bit wonky and maybe even a little bit of that conflict that we've been talking about recently, even though that feels a little uncomfortable, it is so much more efficient and it's so much of a better strategy to just make sure that you understand what's happening before you agree to anything. Okay, mistake number two, not knowing the people on the team. So many times people come to me and I say, okay, so I need to know who's going to be at the meeting. Who is going to be there? It is extremely important that you know even just the kind of people that are on an IEP team. So I don't know, maybe the school psychologist will be there or not. You know, I think my child has occupational therapy or a teacher might say, I don't know, is the school counselor supposed to be here? It is vitally important that every single person on the team know who is on the team, know who is supposed to be at each particular meeting. And then, Think about what we're talking about. We're talking about a team, an IEP team. Now in your state, you might call it an ARD or a PPT or an ARC. No matter what you call it, you are supposed to be a team or a committee. And so what does a team or committee do? They collaborate, they work together. What if you were on a team and you didn't know the people? Would your team be very effective? No, it wouldn't be nearly as effective as if you knew the people. And here this team, your IEP team, has the task of making a plan, an educational plan for a child. And that child, if you're the parent, happens to be yours, which makes it even more important. And I assure you that the teachers think it's that important too. And so it's really, really important that you tap into and you develop relationships in order to make your team work. There's been so much research on teamwork and personality and really looking at how teams function. 
if you're interested in this, the, my favorite thing that I think is so interesting is the Enneagram. And I went to do a podcast sometime on Enneagram numbers and personalities at the IEP team because I think that would be so, so interesting. You have to know the people, you have to know the personalities, you have to know everybody's role at the meeting in order to collaborate, in order to work as a team unit. And if you know all of the people on the team, then you know to whom to communicate different things. You know whose interests and values and um, experiences might lead to some kind of better discussion. So you know who to, to, to whom you should address a question about fine motor or visual perception. And you know who saw your child experience something in the gymnasium or in the cafeteria. You know the people. And if you can look at their expertise and their interests and experiences, particularly their experiences with your child, you're going to get a much better result. Now compare that to people that have no idea who else is on the team. And this happens so often for school people and for parents. Then everybody's kind of more likely to have that complacent, non-adversarial, mm-hmm, kind of a discussion which doesn't lead to a great plan because we don't get the buy-in. And we talked about that last week in the um, podcast that we just aired last week. Okay, let's talk about the third thing that I see at IEP meetings that is definitely something you want to avoid. It is not reading the stuff. You gotta read the stuff. Now that's super technical, so I'm gonna say it again. You have to read the stuff. What kind of stuff am I talking about? Well, I'm gonna tell you about the things that are the most often unread. Parent rights. You know that paper that they give you? It's probably a packet, or maybe they even offer to email it to you now because it's 2021 and they should. I always tease that I could wallpaper my entire house in parent rights because I go to so many IEP meetings. It's probably an overused joke, actually. Those parent rights have really important things in them. And no matter what your role is on an IEP team, you should know what the parents' rights are. And the reason it's so important that Congress made parent rights part of its federal law, part of IDEA, is because you've got the government, which is the school, and the parents that are supposed to collaborate. Well, guess who's got all the information about school and all the money that school gets and all of the training, the school. And so it feels like there's this balance of power that is unfair to the parents. And so Congress said, you know what? We see the value of hearing parents involved in this process. And not only do we want them to be a part of the process, but we want to give them this big behemoth piece of legislation that says, here's what they're entitled to. The parents, not the child. We got a whole other law about the, well, the same law, but we've got all this stuff about what the child gets which is also phenomenal, but the parents, we want the parents, and so we're gonna give them this big document of parent rights, which is really exciting. 
But if you don't know what's in there, you're probably missing out on some of your rights. The thing that I see most often is that parents don't know that they can get that IEE, independent education evaluation. So if, did you know, I could be enlightening you right now. (laughs) Did you know that if you disagree with an evaluation report, that you can get an IEE, an independent education evaluation, and the school has to pay for it. So you don't have to go pay your own money from your own paycheck for a second opinion, so to speak. School has to pay for it. That is a parent rate that's available to you by virtue of the federal law idea. Parents don't read it, and therefore they miss out on IEEs a whole, whole lot. Evaluation reports, oh my gosh, parents have no idea. They have no idea. Sometimes I have to tell parents what their children's diagnoses are. I almost always start a discussion about the evaluation report with the bell curve. And if you don't know how to read those standard scores and Z scores and T scores and all of those different things, you need to learn about the bell curve. You have to understand how to plot your child's scores, how to compare your child's scores, how to really analyze and interpret your child's scores, or else you aren't going to have the information in order to draft that IEP. And so we have to know about evaluation reports, but they're long and intimidating like we just talked about, and so people don't read them. Super, super important stuff. People also don't read about the specially designed instruction that the child's supposed to be getting, which I think is so silly because the specially designed instruction is the meat of the IEP. That's what we're here for. We're here to get instruction that is different, that is specially designed for the child. And so I oftentimes say, well, what is the SDI on that goal? You know, if I'm taking in a consult or if I'm trying to talk to a parent and they don't have a copy of the IEP, I say, okay, well, how is that goal being taught? Well, I don't know. Well, you said your child had a really strong visual profile. So I would assume that they're teaching that with the background of some kind of strong visual programming. How are they doing that? I don't know. How can you be involved? How can you really understand? How can you sign off on an IEP if you don't know what strategies are going to be used in order to teach the child? Because remember, the child has to make meaningful progress. And if we don't know how we're being taught, well, how do we change something if there is no progress? So parents come to me and they say, my child's not making any progress. Look at these these charts. And I say, well, how were they teaching your child? I don't know. Well, if you don't know how they were teaching them, then how can we get involved in how they should be teaching them? Because data drives instruction, and if the data is bad, we should change the instruction, but we don't know what to change because we don't know what was before that delta. We don't know what was before the change. And of course, we can find out, and I do go find out. But man, we would save a lot of time and stress and energy and words if we knew in the beginning. And everybody that knows me personally knows that they should save words because I like to talk. The last thing I'm going to tell you that is oftentimes unread is supplementary aids and services, which again, I think is crazy. Your SAS are the things that support the child. That's this part that says that your child is entitled to an aid, one-on-one support, and also maybe preferential seating 
or adaptive seating or breaks or medicine, all of those things that your kid needs during the day or that a child needs during the day, those should all be in there. And so if we don't look at that, if we don't read it, then we don't know, huh? You know, I never thought about that. Do they like switch up his seat during the day? I hope they do because he sure doesn't do well if he only sits in the same chair at home all day. But I should probably ask, well, it might be right there in the IEP. And so lots of times I look at an evaluation report and I say to the parent, well, is this in the IEP? Here's a recommendation. Is it in the IEP? Is it in SAS? And the parents don't know. Well, if we don't know and it's not in there, if we haven't read it, then we don't know. And then it takes even more time and energy and words to get it right. So we have to read stuff. Remember also, you're committing to a plan. If you're a teacher, a related service professional, an administrator, a parent, you're committing to a plan that IEP is an education plan, an individualized, very specific, specially designed education plan for a child. That is super duper important. And obviously, sometimes things dissolve. Sometimes things don't go well. Sometimes we have, you know, mistakes or disagreements or we reach impasse. And if that happens and you're on a team and you agree because you didn't read something, well, gosh, your case down the road gets weaker and weaker and weaker. So if you reach that impasse, if you have a conflict and you have to file due process or you have to file a suit or you have to reach out and do a state complaint and get your Department of Ed involved and you said yes six months ago to something, well, that really weakens your case. So it's really important to know what you're signing. It's really important to know what your nod of the head means. Because if you don't read it, you don't know what it means, right? So easy. It's so easy and it seems so simple, but there are so many people that are not reading all or part of their education records. Okay, so those are the three substantive things. Number one, agreeing without knowledge. I don't know, but I'm just gonna nod my head, yes? Number two, not knowing the people. And number three, not reading stuff. I also want to warn you because last week we talked about conflict and kind of the five dysfunctions of the team from that Patrick Lencioni book that I love so much. But I want to talk about the flip side of that and that is this list of words. When people on a team are confrontational, argumentative, combative, antagonistic, accusative, and oppositional, the team is going to fail. We need that good productive discord. And the other thing that happens in my practice is parents will come in and they'll say, well, I told them no. I just told them, no, I'm not going to sign it. I didn't even look at it. I didn't even read it. I've had it. I don't even know. Again, if that's the way people behave in meetings, then how are we supposed to collaborate in order to get a good plan for a child? 
So what I encourage you to do, if that is you, if you feel argumentative, antagonistic, certainly if you're accusing people of not doing hours, something like that, then what I encourage you to do is to go back and listen to last week's podcast on the five dysfunctions of the team because conflict is good. Productive, objective discussion, wonderful. That yields effective change. But when we are stuck in these negative emotions, we get nowhere and in fact can really, really disaffect the progress of the team. And so I told you, it's not a substantive thing. It's more of a personality teamwork collaboration thing. But it's so important that I just thought I would mention it. We don't want to butt heads just for the sake of butting heads. That's not a super successful advocacy strategy. Okay, I hope that this was helpful. I'll see you again next week at the same time. Have a great week. I'll talk to you soon.